from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, while the Taliban is reportedly refusing to allow Americans left behind by the Biden administration to leave, the Biden administration is focused not on Americans in Afghanistan, but abortion in Texas. We have the best lawyers at the Justice Department looking for legal remedies to protect women who are seeking to exercise their constitutional rights. We have the team at HHS uh, looking at what means we can do to try to get women the health care services they need in the face of this Texas law. It was White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain on CNN with Dana Bash over the weekend. The Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, joins me in just a moment to discuss how the Biden administration is leveling its legal guns on the Lone Star State over its protection of the unborn. And speaking of Americans left behind, Marine veteran and founder of Mighty Oaks Foundation, Chad Robichaux, has a firsthand account of America. Is the State Department and the Biden administration doing to secure their release? We'll get the latest from Congressman Jackson later here on Washington Watch. And finally, the past few days of Hurricane Ida and the wildfires in the West and the unprecedented flash floods in New York and New Jersey is yet another reminder that these extreme storms and the climate crisis, crisis are here. We need to do, be much better prepared. We need to act. When Congress returns this month, I'm going to press for their action on my Build Back Better plan. The United Nations is out with a report saying that natural disasters have increased in frequency and cost over the last 50 years. There is no denying that fact. But is Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan the answer? I'll talk with Dr. Ronnie Floyd, president of the Southern Baptist Convention's executive board, about how the SBC is responding to the widespread needs created by Ida and how Christians should be responding in these times in which we are living. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. That way you can be connected with Washington Watch, no matter where you might be in the world. And also, you'll get action items. When it's time to act, what to do, who to contact, download the Stand Firm app. By the way, let me give you an update. Uh, We've, over the last week, as we've been helping respond to the effects of Hurricane Ida, uh, we have uh, had uh, from you and other supporters $42,000 given toward that effort. We've already sent uh, truckloads of water to uh, the southern part of Louisiana, where water is uh, drinkable water is in short supply. And uh, we're going to continue those efforts, partnering with Samaritan's Purse and the churches that are hosting them. So if you'd like to uh, be a part of that effort, go to frc.org slash relief. All of that money is going to support Samaritan's Purse and the churches that are hosting them here in the state of Louisiana. Let me encourage you to continue to pray for that situation as well as uh, we've seen the effects. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. This is one of those storms that uh, while it started in Louisiana with the brunt of the impact here, it's been felt all across the country, especially up in the Northeast in New Jersey and New York. We're going to talk about that later with Dr. Ronnie Floyd. 
All right. Yesterday, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland issued a statement saying his Justice Department is urgently exploring all options to challenge Texas's heartbeat law, which the U.S. Supreme Court allowed to take effect last week. Now, the statement echoed earlier remarks by President Biden, who said Thursday that he was launching a, quote, whole of government effort, end quote, to respond to the unprecedented assault on women's constitutional rights under Roe v. Wade. On Sunday, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, as I played earlier, said the administration has the best lawyers looking into the matter. Here's more of what he had to say Sunday. We have the best lawyers at the Justice Department looking for legal remedies to protect women who are seeking to exercise their constitutional rights. We have the team at HHS uh, looking at what means we can do to try to get women the health care services they need in the face of this Texas law. And we have the Gender Policy Council here at the White House, uh, the first time a president's ever had a policy council devoted to gender issues, coordinating all this work to bring options forward for the president and the vice so president. So you think it's possible? That you, I, I, you think it's possible that you can do something on a federal find, level? We are going to find ways, if they're at all possible, and I think they are possible, we're going to find ways to make a difference for the women of Texas uh, to try to protect their constitutional rights. Yes. One can only wonder how the situation in Afghanistan could have turned out differently if the Biden administration had put such energy into its exit strategy. Now they're turning to the state of Texas to keep them from protecting the unborn. With me now to talk more about this is the lieutenant governor of the state of Texas, Dan Patrick. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you again, Tony. Uh, Are you surprised at how aggressive the Biden administration is in trying to stop the law from having its intended effect of protecting the unborn in Texas? Well, I'm surprised on a number of things. First of all, Tony, we passed this bill in the Senate back in April. It actually passed uh, through the legislature in May. Uh, And there wasn't a word on this bill. And then suddenly, when it becomes law on September 1st, which is what happens when we pass legislation, if it doesn't have two-thirds of a vote and all the Democrats voted against it, it became law last week. And that's when suddenly everyone woke up. And uh, so I'm a little surprised that uh, they were all asleep at the wheel for so long on a bill, Tony, that uh, we think is powerful and unique. And that's why, for now, the Supreme Court And I say for now, I'm sure it's going to be challenged again, but they let the bill stand when every other heartbeat bill has been knocked down by the courts where it's never gotten this far. I'm also surprised that the Biden administration is suddenly concerned about women uh, rights uh, in this and and, uh, looking out for women when they have totally turned their back on all the women in Afghanistan, including uh, Afghani Christians. Uh, They've done nothing for the women there. So uh, I'm I'm a little surprised by all of this. But uh, here's, here's the bottom line, Tony, is we passed a unique bill. Every other heartbeat bill that we saw uh, had criminal penalties in the past, and the state would enforce it. This is a unique approach, uh, and this approach is it's a civil offense, and any citizen in Texas can sue a doctor performing an abortion up to $10,000. Now, to my knowledge, the law has been in effect now several days. I don't know that we've had the first abortion or lawsuit filed, but I do. But I do know anecdotally, we're hearing that abortion clinics are stopping doing abortions right now because doctors don't want to be sued. 
I was uh, discussing this bill last week with the attorney general there in Texas, uh, Ken Paxton. And and it is, I think, a very uniquely crafted. um, Mm -hmm. I think it's very clever, quite frankly, how this law was crafted. It has withstood the scrutiny to this point that other laws have not because, as you said, no criminal penalties, and it is not the state enforcing it. I think right. it has the left, uh, I mean, it has them baffled as to how to yes, stop it. it. But but I want to go to what the Attorney General uh, Garland said yesterday. He brought up the FACE Act, which is the Freedom, uh, Acts, the Freedom of Access to Clin- Clinic Entrances Act, which was passed back in the 90s, signed by Bill yes. Clinton. Um, he says they're looking at using this to combat the heartbeat bill in Texas. Does that surprise you? Because that's all about physical intimidation and yeah. violence. Yes, this this has nothing to do with this bill. And in fact, uh, no one has to show up at an abortion clinic uh, to file the lawsuit. They can do that through their lawyers, uh, through the court. So I don't know what he's talking about. It has nothing to do with this bill. Uh, this is merely focused on doctors performing an abortion uh, when they detect a heartbeat. And I've done a number of interviews on this, as you can imagine. I'm so pleased to be with you today. And when I get back, and, you know, we go back a long way, and I've, I, I was one who wrote the sonogram bill back in 2011 that said abortion clinics must give every woman the option, the choice, uh, to see a sonogram. And since that time, we've cut abortions from 80,000 roughly a year to in the mid-50,000s, about 25,000 a year since that bill passed. So I've been in this fight a long time. And and when I look at this bill, there's often this discussion of when does life begin? And, and many of us believe at conception, but many say, well, when a heartbeat is detected, well, now it's time for them to stand up on that issue. Because when a heartbeat is detected, there's a little Texan in that womb um, who wants a potential to live at life. And remember in Roe v. Wade, one of the things the Supreme Court said is every state has a protected interest in the uh, probability of, of, of life. And that's all we've done here in Texas. We want that uh, potentiability of life, excuse me, and, and every child has that right to live. And so what we're saying now is who's going to argue with this law that says if there's a heartbeat, even if if people disagree on the conception issue, again, I believe it begins a conception. But if it's a heartbeat, what are they going to say now? What are they going to say? And that's what the heart of this bill is. That little Texan in the womb has a beating heart and has a right, as the Supreme Court, I think, said in Roe v. Wade. I'm not a lawyer. They said the state has a right, a protected interest to protect life. That's absolutely right. Uh, when a heartbeat ceases, that's when we say that uh, death has occurred. And when yes. there is the presence of a heartbeat, you're absolutely right. There is life. Uh, you, you haven't changed your position. As you said, we've known each other for years. You've yeah. been consistently pro-life. I can't say the same for the president, who seems to have changed his position. Right. Um, I'm going to go to a clip uh, from last week on Friday. Uh, the president giving remarks after the jobs report about Texas's bill. Uh, clip number three, please. I, under, I respect people who think that who don't support Roe v. Wade. I respect their views. I respect them. They, those who believe life begins at the moment of conception. And all. I, I respect that. Don't agree, but I respect that. I'm not going to impose that on people. Of course, uh, back in 2012. In fact, I got a, a short clip of what he said back in 2012 about uh, the origins of life. Let's uh, play clip number four, please. I accept my 
church's position on abortion as a what we call de fide doctor. Life begins at conception. That's the church's judgment. I accepted my personal life. But I refuse to impose it on equally devout Christians and Muslims and Jews. And, uh, I just refuse to impose that on others, unlike my friend here, the, the congressman. So he talks about imposing this view of the sanctity of human life on others, but yet he doesn't hesitate to impose his views that we should fund abortion. Well, uh, he's a typical politician, and there are too many sometimes in both parties, quite frankly, not just uh, uh, criticizing him, people who run for office on what they think they need to say to get elected, either in a primary or general election. And then there are others, and I think many, on both sides, quite frankly, who actually have a foundation on what they believe. And so for me and many Republicans, and obviously in the Texas Senate where this bill passed, again, we passed it four times, Tony, before it finally got uh, – I take that back. Uh, let me correct yeah. that. We passed it in May. We did get, we did get it passed the first time. But um, we have a number of Republicans in the Texas Senate legislature. We passed so many bills this year. Forgive me for confusing it for a moment. It's been a lot of, it's been a long night. We've been busy, special no sessions. doubt. We've been busy. But um, we believe this is a foundational principle to our core. So this isn't about politics. I've had some people say, hey, look, this is going to hurt the Republicans yeah. at the ballot box. Well, what's the Bible say about when a man, you know, chooses the world, um, he loses his soul and right. um, the ways of the world? And so for me, it's just between me and God here. Uh, we're born in the image of God. Uh, we're taking the life of it's foundation. Lieutenant Governor, we're we're up against a break. We've got to leave it there. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for fighting for the unborn. Folks, stick with us. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. 
Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Right, hundreds of U.S. citizens and potentially thousands of green card holders. We don't really know the number. The administration can't put a number on it. But they're still stranded in Afghanistan. With no U.S. presence in Afghanistan after the military withdrawal, the fate of all of those that are desperate to leave is in the hands of the Taliban. And needless to say, that's not comforting news. U.S. Congressman Michael McCall of Texas, the ranking member on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, reported Sunday that flights ready to evacuate American citizens, civilians, and allies were not being allowed to leave Afghanistan, and that it was the Taliban that was holding them hostage for demands. Here's what he had to say. This is really, Chris, turning into a hostage situation where they're not going to allow American citizens to leave until they get full recognition from the United States of America. With me now to talk more about the situation on the ground is someone who knows it quite well. He knows about the challenges facing those trying to get out of Afghanistan. Chad Robichaud is a former recon ranger with the United States Marines, a DOD contractor with eight deployments to Afghanistan as a part of a Joint Special Operations Command task force. Two weeks ago, his organization, the Mighty Oaks, Mighty Oaks, Mighty Oaks Foundation joined with another veteran support organization to form Save Our Allies, a coalition that's working to evacuate Afghan personnel who supported U.S. forces as well as their families. Chad, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me on, Tony. All right, Chad, uh, tell us, tell our listeners about your efforts and what you have faced thus far there on the ground in Afghanistan. Yeah, well, originally my, my efforts was kind of self-serving. I wanted to get my interpreter out. I, uh, like many veterans, I served uh, on a JSOC task force. I did eight deployments. Uh, my interpreter wasn't really just an interpreter. He was a teammate. The two of us worked on uh, AFO missions uh, throughout the Afghanistan and Pakistan and uh, developed a close bonding relationship. I wanted to get him, his wife, and his children out because the Taliban had already identified them and his life was in jeopardy. We had tried this SIV process for six years. It wasn't working. And so myself and Dan Stenson, a former teammate of mine, uh, began this, uh, put money together, put an operation together. And in doing so, we learned about 3,000 orphans uh, that was also stranded there. And uh, we seen a, a kind of window of, of opportunity closing. We went to the UAE government. Uh, through some relationships we had there and requested support. Uh, they gave us 
the humanitarian center and airfield, support from the military, military aircraft, and ability to land charter aircraft. And so we built an operation. We launched it. Uh, eight days uh, of uh, pulling people off the ground. We got 8,911 uh, SIV applicants, uh, women, vulnerable women, orphans, um, Americans, and uh, Christians that would have been persecuted. We got them 8,911 of them out. We assisted with another 3,000, totaling about 12,000 people that we were able to get out in a period of about eight days. Uh, the biggest obstacle we faced has been the uh, restrictions uh, of the White House particularly when the White House taking the NEO operations, the non-combatant evacuation operation, away from the Department of Defense and the military and giving it to the State Department, um, who has no business of doing that. It's a military operation and essentially using our United States military as security guards and treating the airport like it was an embassy, uh, not allowing our American civilians to be rescued and aided to get out. I mean, I heard the congressman on your clip saying uh, this is turning into a hostage situation I agree with him. However, I think that hostage situation began about 10 days before before uh, that hostage situation began on about August 2022nd uh, and when the Taliban was given power to control the control access to the airport. Now, Chad, I understand that you had uh, a a couple of busloads of uh, individuals to evacuate out and you were turned back from the airport. Is that correct? Yeah, because it's it's actually is an investigation now. I can't give all the details to it, but I can say that we had a bustle of 700 uh, people. Uh, we got into the gate. We got uh, offloaded. Uh, so they were already in a holding area. These were uh, 300, uh, 300 uh, orphans. There was uh, some people from uh, – some of the people on the bus was a was family members of the children of the UAE ambassador – uh, to, to Afghanistan, uh, where there was also, um, about a hundred Christians, the families of, uh, the families of the pilots that had been helping us and 27 Americans that were all in the, on the airport in the holding, uh, area and were made to get back on the buses and sent back to, uh, the checkpoint, which is manned by the Taliban. Uh, and we're talking about blue, blue passport holding Americans and, uh, you know, to my, to my knowledge, we never seen them again. Again, there's an investigation going under that. Uh, because we were not happy with it. And uh, so there's some things that I'd like to say about it, but I can't. So, uh, Chad, we've get, gotten conflicting numbers about the uh, number of Americans and allies that are there that won out. The president, the White House being somewhat dismissive, saying there's maybe 100, maybe two that want to get out. W- w- what's the real number more like? You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, I've been attacked for the number I give, uh, but my estimation is, is 5,000. And the reason I say 5,000 is consistently we have heard uh, from the White House and from other people that were, they were between 10,000 and 30,000. Uh, the White House has said over and over again from the president, from Saki, that there was 10,000. Uh, they said that on multiple occasions. So using 10,000 as the most conservative number, uh, the White House has said since they said 10,000 that we got that they got 5,000 out. Now, I'm no mathematician, but, you know, uh, 10 minus 5 is, is 5,000 left, uh, not 200. And, uh, you know, that number has uh, been argued, argued, but to me, as a former special operator uh, and someone who's, who's believes, in, believes in what our country stands for, even if the number is one, one American, uh, in my experience, if one American is in another country in harm's way, whether it's their fault or not, if they need rescued, 
we will exhaust every resource in the United States military and every bit of strength in the United States military to go get them. We'll freaking scorch the earth, including knowing we will lose people. Uh, this is what our military members are willing to lose people to save one person. And that's who we are as a country. That's why our citizens can feel safe uh, to have the protection of our country. So even if the numbers won, uh, you know, they have the link to stand on. They need to do the right thing and, and help get our American citizens home. That is America's heritage. It is our history. Uh, but there are some that have forgotten that commitment that Americans have for their fellow citizens. Uh, Chad Robichaud, thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you for your service in Semper Fi. Semper Fi. All right, folks, uh, we're going to continue talking about this because there are others still waiting. And what is being done? Members of Congress calling on the administration to step up and do exactly what Chad Robichaud said. Do not leave Americans behind. What is the State Department doing? What might they do? Congressman Ronnie Jackson is next. Don't go away. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAN to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we talked about in the last segment, the State Department reportedly has not been helpful to many who have been trying to get out of Afghanistan. And I, I've been working on this uh, with others on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and I have have similar stories and accounts that I could give. Uh, some have said that uh, the State Department has even stood in the way as an obstacle for others, for other individuals and nonprofits who have been trying to assist with evacuations. Uh, if that wasn't bad enough, it's now 
the State Department, that is, is trying to take credit for rescue operations that it had very little to do with. Senior State Department officials on Monday announced that the, quote, U.S. has facilitated the safe departure of four U.S. citizens by overland routes from Afghanistan, end quote. But was it the State Department? With me now to talk about this is Congressman Ronnie Jackson. He serves on both the Armed Services Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He is also a retired Navy Rear Admiral who served for 25 years, including a stint in Iraq. He represents the 13th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Jackson, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Tony. I appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. Uh, You were one who had alerted a private team of military veterans about the plight of a family of four that were just successfully evacuated. Can you tell us about how things unfolded and when and how the State Department stepped in? Okay. Well, first off, let's just start with the fact that the State Department never stepped in, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, Tony, these, these, these people were from my district. They are constituents of mine. They're from Amarillo. And uh, so I found out uh, early on, uh, probably on Tuesday before the bombing on Thursday, that they were there and that they needed to get out. They were desperately trying to get out. So we immediately started engaging my team. I got my legislative team together. We started making phone calls to the State Department. We started calling everybody we could to figure out. These people need to get out. They're U.S. citizens. They have blue passports. How do we get them out? And it, it, just so everybody knows, it was a mother and three children, okay? Uh, and uh, the, uh, the oldest child was 15. The youngest was two. And uh, they, they, they're, they're U.S. citizens. The father was still back home in Amarillo. They had gone over. They were from Afghanistan. The parents were, but were U.S. citizens. And the children were all born in the United States. But they had gone back over to see relatives and ended up like just the timing was poor, and they got stuck there because of what happened. Because they, like everybody else in the world, didn't know that, you know, that Biden was just going to yank everybody out of Afghanistan, yank all the troops out, let the Taliban take over the entire country in a matter of hours, and then they were going to be stranded there. But that's exactly what happened. So they were there trying to visit families. They realized, you know, as soon as this started happening, they had to get out of there very quickly because, obviously, the Taliban – is very hostile and will continue to be hostile and will get very it will get much more hostile as the days go on towards American citizens and those people that helped the US uh, in, in the last over the last 20 years. So they started scrambling trying to get out of there. We started making phone calls. We got the state department engaged. The state department just basically initially they were doing the same thing for everybody. They weren't being helpful at all. They were sending out text messages and they were telling people, you know, uh, text your information to this to this particular uh, you know, text your information to this particular uh, to this particular, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn this off. Uh, to this particular address here, and tell us where you're at and what's going on, so on and so forth. Uh, or call this call this hotline, and 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 we'll and we'll see if we can help you. It was just your typical bureaucratic, just garbage that was not useful at all. And these people were an extremist, and so they started going to the, uh, the a couple of times. The State Department said, "Go to the uh, go to the South Gate." And so they would go to the South Gate, and they would get stopped by the Taliban at the checkpoint. The Taliban would threaten them. The Taliban beat up one of the uncles. The Taliban struck the 15-year-old son. They eventually stuck a gun to the mother's head and told her that if she came back, they would shoot her in the head. They didn't care who she was or what kind of passport she had. She wasn't passing through. 
And then at one point, they actually got through, and they were 200 feet from the gate, and we could not get the State Department to open the gate and let them in. This was the kind of stuff that was happening. They were right there. So the State Department was making a lot of noise, saying they were trying to be helpful to U.S. citizens, but they were actually doing nothing, nothing to help them. And they, they, they were preventing the military as well, but this is a big part of the problem, is that this military operation was being run by the State Department. They were preventing the State Department, the State Department was preventing the military from going out and, and, and getting these people and bringing them back in. So they were kind of stuck. They really had no options. And it, 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 they just kept this up until the very end, until the State Department finally pulled everybody out, the military pulled everybody out, and they were gone, and there were no options left for them. At that point, they realized that, that, that they were on a hit list. The, uh, the, the Taliban had gone to their home looking for them. At that point, it was no longer safe for them to go. Now, mind you, I had a team led by Corey Mills, uh, who, who used to do a lot of contracting over there, military contracting. He had a lot of contractors on the ground over there. There were Afghans that were helping us. There were SIV applicants, and they were hoping to get out as well. They were still part of Corey's team. Corey went over there with Mark Wayne Mullen, and they were going to try to fly in and go out into Kabul, gather these people up, bring them back to a plane that Corey had already had donors paid for. Corey had cash. He had the plane paid for. Everything was done. They were going to – they had tactical vehicles there, weapons, everything they needed. They were going to go get these people, bring them back to the airport, and get them out of there. But what happened is the State Department would not let Corey in. They would not. They, they refused to let his plane land. They refused to give him any assistance whatsoever. So Corey was moving this family around in Kabul to safe houses to keep them from being killed. And – uh, eventually what happened, I hear some music playing, so we might be tying it up here, but I, they, they, they eventually fled to another part of the country, to the border, and they got there, and there were planes that were manifested that Corey had worked out. They were on the manifest. They were ready to go, and the State Department would not give the permission for these planes to land in third-party countries so that they could get them out of there. In addition, the Taliban was also prevented because the Taliban was already holding them hostage, essentially, and using them to barter and bargain for recognition C- of their Congressman, government. Congressman, we're, we're up against the border. We're up against the break. Can you stick around for another couple of minutes? I want to want you to finish yep. that on the other side of the break. Okay, yep, you bet. Can you stick with us? Okay. All right, yep, the Congressman's yep. going to stick with us, and Dr. Ronnie Floyd's going to be joining us as well. So don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch after this. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. 
You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Hey, welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and uh, joining me, Congressman Ronnie Jackson of uh, Texas. He's a member of the House Armed Services Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, he is uh, retired from the United States Navy, retired as a rear admiral. And uh, he was talking about his efforts to get a family out from his district uh, that was in Afghanistan and how the State Department was not helpful uh, Congressman Jackson, thanks for sticking around through the break. I wanted you to finish this account because I have another question for you. So the, uh, the, the there was an effort to try to get them out of one of the other airports. They could not get the uh, uh, the help from the State Department. So what happened? So that's right. So they went up north because they basically their life was really becoming increasingly, you know, in danger staying in Kabul. So they got out of Kabul and they knew they weren't getting out of Kabul anyways because we had abandoned the airport there. So there was an airport up north. That, that was supposed to be uh, an airport where potentially they could get out of still. So they made the long trek, the long dangerous trek, uh, eight to ten hours to drop up to the, to the airport up north, and they actually got there. There was a plane there. There were six planes on the ground. They were all there. They were, they were uh, you know, uh, donors had donated. They were designated as humanitarian, uh, you know, humanitarian flights, and they were there specifically to get American citizens and SIB holders out. They were ready. They were fueled. They had uh, crews. Uh, my particular constituents, my team was so aggressive, they had them manifested on all six of the planes just in case one took off and the other one didn't. We wanted to make sure they were on the manifest that left. They were manifested. They went to the airport three days in a row. And three days in a row, they were told by the Taliban that the plane wasn't leaving to come back the next day. 
my team on the ground would have would pull them out, put them back in a safe house uh, overnight, and then take them back to the airport the next day. The third day, some of the people that left didn't come back to the airport. They disappeared. And so it was obvious that the Taliban had probably taken these people. So it was getting very it was getting very dangerous for them. That third day, they sit there. They were 20 minutes from boarding, 20 minutes from board, from their boarding time. The plane was ready to go, and they were told by the Taliban that they, they could not leave. We made phone calls to the State Department. The State Department told us we don't know what's going on there. We don't have any oversight from that. Uh, all we've been told is that the Taliban won't let these people leave until their government is fully established and recognized. And that probably that might not happen until the 9th of September. Basically, these people are being held hostage at this point by the Taliban, and the Taliban's demand is that their government be set up and be recognized. And they're going to make a – they're going to push the U.S. government to recognize them, a group of terrorists, as the official government for Afghanistan before they let our people go. Mark my word, that is going to happen. That has essentially already happened. So my team said this is too dangerous. We are going to pull them out. We are not going to try to fly them out anymore. We are going to, we are going to go, and we're going to find a place on the border where they can cross. So Corey Mills, who was on the other side, went up and down the border to find areas. He talked to, uh, to uh, Taliban guards. He bribed some of them. He tricked some of them into thinking that they were being contacted by Taliban people in Doha. He, he did every, pulled every trick in the hat he could out. He finally got these people across the border. When they got across the border, they needed an emergency visa from the country that they went into. And so the, the State Department, after they were already crossed the border, did provide that. That was the only thing the State Department did. But up until that point, when these people were already out, the State Department had essentially no role in getting them out. Then the, the, the horrible thing is that the State Department turned around. These were the first four Americans to leave the country after the 31st of August when, when the Americans pulled out of Kabul. The State Department immediately seized on this, and they started pushing out to CNN and all the other news agencies that they had just got the first four Americans out over a land bridge and that this was proof that they had a plan in place to get Americans out. They did not have a plan in place. They had nothing to do with this, and they were taking it and making it their own and basically trying to lie to the American people and tell the American people that this was their plan and this was how they were going to get Americans out. It's shameful. It's absolutely shameful. And then we found out later on that the entire time, one of the reasons these planes couldn't leave, in addition to the Taliban not letting them go, is because the American government, the State Department, was going around to these third-party countries and encouraging them not to let these people land there, to, and, and they would not give – authorization for these flights to land in that area. And these countries won't let these people land with American citizens on board unless our State Department has okayed it. And our State Department said, we will not okay that, essentially shutting it down. So the State Department was pushing back at every level. I don't know why. I think that part of it is they didn't want the success story from Afghanistan to be that patriotic American citizens were going over there and getting our people out of there, doing something that the State Department and the military couldn't or wouldn't do. I think they thought that was a bad story, and they would rather leave those people there than have that story. I, I think it's just absolutely horrible, Tony. Uh, Congressman, I, I can't agree with you more. I've been working with others trying to find those countries that would allow these uh, plans to land and these refugees to uh, be processed through. And uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a uh, obstacle at every turn. And as we speak, those uh, those planes, uh, they're still on the ground. They're still on the ground, as far as I know. They have not left. As far as I know, no other citizens have got out of Afghanistan since the 31st of August, other than the four citizens from the 13th Congressional District that we got out by sneaking them across the border, essentially. 
Well, Congressman, I want to thank you for your tenacity. I, I want to thank you, uh, obviously, for joining us today, but thank you for your service to our country and for upholding what I was talking about earlier with Chad Robichaux, what is our heritage and, and really uh, the history that we don't leave Americans behind, at least not until yes, what we're seeing unfold today. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. All right, Congressman Ronnie Jackson of Texas. It is uh, unbelievable that we've come to this point. All right, I want to transition. I'm going to go. Uh, we've been covering the uh, storm that has hit. And I think, look, I think it's, it, this all fits together, okay? So stick with me. What we're seeing unfold in Afghanistan, the Delta variant, uh, Ida, all of this, it, it it comes together, and I'm, I'm going to connect it. You know, it's been more than a week since Ida made landfall uh, in my home state of Louisiana. More than 400,000 homes and businesses in the state are still without power. We got power over the weekend. And some of the hardest hit areas may be dark until the end of the month. Meanwhile, the death toll from the storm rose to uh, nearly 70 across eight states, with most deaths coming from New York and New Jersey, where remnants of the hurricane caused flash flooding. Well, it's hard to put figures on how many people have been devastated by the storm, but needless to say, there are a lot of people who are in need right now. Uh, estimates are this could be the sixth costliest uh, hurricane cost, approaching at least $50 billion, maybe more. Um, but this is where we step in. Just like we've been talking about going over to Afghanistan, Americans rescuing Americans, it's Americans helping Americans here. And one of those organizations that is stepping up to meet the need, and we've talked to Samaritan's Purse, but also right alongside them, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, whose teams were among the first to begin meeting uh, emergency food and water and hygiene needs in southern Louisiana and now all across the country in the Northeast. Um, joining me now to talk more about what is happening in terms of the Southern Baptist Convention's relief is Dr. Ronnie Floyd. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. Uh, Dr. Floyd, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hello, Tony. Great to be back with you. Thank you for the privilege of being on today. Give our listeners uh, a, kind of an overview of what's happening right now as it pertains to the Southern Baptist in the relief efforts in these states that have been hit by uh, Hurricane Ida. Yes, Tony, we have, even in the state of Louisiana, which took the majority of the hit initially, we have at least 17 different places in that state where we have presence in relationship to doing Southern Baptist disaster relief. We really have two organizations that take care of this, but ultimately inside the states, it's Southern Baptist disaster relief. But there's also another group that we have now combined with the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board called SEND Relief. So SEND Relief, along with the state conventions that have been affected uh, are providing ministry to people in an ongoing manner in all kinds of ways all across Louisiana as well as the Northeast. You know, I, I, uh, I mean, I've seen these things more frequently, and, and I, the Southern Baptists are out there on the front lines as, as other organizations, but there's a bigger sure. – there, there's a bigger role to the to the to the effort. I mean, it's yes, meeting the needs physically, 
but there's also the spiritual needs that come into play when people go through these tragic experiences. And Red Cross doesn't do that. The federal government doesn't do that. It's faith-based organizations, Southern Baptist Convention, Mm -hmm. Samaritan's Purse, uh, others who are there to meet the whole need of the individual. That's right. Well, Tony, you know, you take 2020, for example, uh, the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief uh, was the third largest disaster relief uh, all across the United States, third only to the Red Cross and the Salvation Army. That's because we do it through our churches. We do it through our state commissions. And together, they go forward to minister all over the country as the need occurs. But in the year 2020 alone, we had over 670,000 volunteer hours that were given. Over 750,000 meals were prepared. And, uh, you know, there are massive opportunities to share the gospel by the thousands And many people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we have obviously uh, the end in mind continually, and that is how can we not only meet the physical needs and the material needs of people today, but how can we share with them the ultimate answer to all of our problems, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And like right now, for example, not only are, do we have disaster relief units in, in places that I mentioned a moment ago in Louisiana, as well as across uh, the Northeast, but we have disaster relief units in, in California dealing with wildfires and other places across the country. And then through sin relief, we're all over the world, as well as do the very same thing right here in our homeland called America. You know, Dr. Floyd, it's not often that I agree with the United Nations, but the United Nations had a report that just recently Mm. came out. Um, Yeah. It came out September the 1st, so it came out last week. And, of course, their perspective on this increase in extreme weather events, which they say over the last 50 years uh, have uh, increased dramatically, um, about five times, about a 50% increase, and that most of these disasters, these natural hazards, um, hurricanes, fires, droughts, uh, this accounts for about half of all of the, uh, the, the types of disasters that we have seen, uh, and 45% of all reported deaths, 74% of all reported economic losses. Bottom line is they're saying these things are coming with greater frequency and greater intensity, and I agree with that. I've seen it with my own eyes. They, however, uh, say it's uh, climate change, and I I don't disagree that the climate's not changing, but we should not be surprised by this because the Scripture makes very clear. Jesus says in uh, in Mark chapter 13, Mark or Matthew 24, he says, look, he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles he goes on, and, and in, in the Matthew it says there'll be famines and pestilence and earthquakes. That's the signs of the beginning of sorrows, the end of time. We should understand that these things are going to increase. The question is, how do we respond? More government or more yeah. compassionate giving through the body of Christ? Well, you proposed a great question there. To me, it's all about the body of Christ stepping in. Uh, not only on the front lines of the battle, but staying involved all the way when everyone else goes home. 
that comes back to the advantage of us doing this through local churches and through the state conventions of our Southern Baptist uh, uh, Convention Network of Churches. We have about 50,000 congregations across the United States, Tony. And, uh, you know, that provides an, an enormous workforce out here to the glory of God when it comes along the way. There's no question the climate is changing. That's undeniable. But I do agree with you that that's really ultimately all towards uh, moving in an accelerated manner as we have seen it even in our lifetimes, Tony. I mean, it's amazing the acceleration of that mode. And it reminds me again uh, to all of your folks today that are listening and watching, it's very important to understand we live in a very fallen world. And the sin of Adam and Eve and all of the sin since then also gives repercussions to the environment and matters about this world. This world is fallen. But one day when the Lord comes again, everything will ultimately one day be new. But until that day, we're going to see constancy of change, and it will not end until the Lord comes again. And he's made that very clear to us. And so if we believe him, we follow him, we know from the word these things are going to happen. So we don't have to be taken back by it. We don't have to be surprised by it. We just need to be prepared, as you've said, to minister in it as he gives us the ability. Dr. Ronnie Floyd, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, being with us. How can folks partner with the Southern Baptist Convention in their efforts? Well, thank you very much for asking, specifically because of Louisiana. And I know there are major, major, major needs in Louisiana. If you will go to LouisianaBaptist.org, LouisianaBaptist.org, you could contribute and help thousands of people and hundreds of churches that need help. Also, you can go to SendRelief.org, SendRelief.org, and they also have disaster relief that ministers right here in the United States, and you can even designate that towards one of the states that have been affected that you want to contribute to making a difference today. All right. Dr. Floyd, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, and Tony. Folks, have thank a great you. day. Thank you, folks, for being with us as well. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 